HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I am your host, Joe Campanelli, and when I'm not hosting In the Drink, I'm making a little bit of wine called Anona uh, over in Italy. They're, they are totally organic wines. Uh, the vineyards are farmed biodynamically, and uh, they can be found at a bunch of great places here, uh, mostly in New York, but also at great places around the country like Osteria Moza in Los Angeles. Um, it's actually a good segue because we're going to be talking about organic and natural wines and uh what is a natural wine bar uh, and all of the, uh, the the kind of things that come along with that really loaded term these days um, with someone who knows and I'm sure has been thinking about these questions quite a bit uh, firsthand. Uh, he was the food and wine or one of the food and wine magazine smallies of the year this year. Uh, he's all, had all sorts of other accolades. Great uh, experience working at 11 Madison Park, uh, which was just named to be the number one restaurant in the world in the Pellegrino list and a bunch of Daniel Ballou restaurants. We have Caleb Ganser in the studio with us. He is the wine director and managing partner of Compagnie de Vanser Natural here in New York City, which is one of my favorite places to drink wine. Uh, welcome to In the Drink. I really appreciate you coming in. Joe, thanks for having me. Honored to be here. Uh, and thank you. I know you were just you were just in the studio about a month ago. I, I didn't good. I didn't realize that uh, you'd been in so recently when I asked you to come on the show. But uh, uh, thanks thanks for coming back to Heritage. My my pleasure. It's awesome to make a make a trip out to Brooklyn. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I, I love your wine bar, and uh, you know, when I was involved in the restaurants in Delanima and Anfora, the 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 crews there were such huge fans of yours. I'm sure there still are such huge fans uh, of yours. In fact, even. Uh, 
Dave Foss, who you, who you know well, had his wedding party at Company. You're doing such great stuff, um, and uh, and and you're you can you can you tell us about how your involvement in Company started? Um, I know there's a location in Paris, and uh, the one here in New York maybe started a little bit before you you came on board. Yeah, so I mean, uh, Compagnie de Vins Naturel was started actually, yeah, in Paris about five years ago uh, by the team behind Experimental Cocktail Club and a bunch of other spots in, in Paris and London. And yeah, so they're more cocktail people, but as they were kind of getting older, they were like, well, like, you know, we definitely drink wine more than, than drink cocktails, but we like the cocktail lounge sort of vibe. Maybe we should do something with our spirit, but through it, you know, no pun intended, through, through a wine bar uh, angle. And even in Paris, there weren't really that many good kind of loungy, comfortable, chill wine bars, and they hit it. They hit it off pretty well. And and mm-hmm. obviously, and honestly, the name itself is kind of a tongue-in-cheek, like myth to the natural wine movement because they actually don't really like natural wine at all. I have a little more tolerance for you know, especially the, the good ones. Um, but in Paris, you know, it's a little bit different scene because they're so close to the natural wine movement, and you can get a lot more of the the natural wines the hardcore natural wines you know like no sulfur and just no additives which are can be great but they're also highly unstable and a lot of times these wines would be served in paris at these natural wine bars and frankly they just weren't very good and mm-hmm. they were kind of undrinkable and they wanted to just open up a wine bar that was less about politics and less about what you put in or what you don't and just have great wine and i really uh, and then they they opened up in new york about three years ago I went to it as a guest through through a mutual friend who knew you know who knew them, and I very much enjoyed the spirit of it. I loved the vibe. Um, the list was was good, and I think a lot of the concept that they brought over something just didn't quite translate. The first year was a little rocky, um, and then you know I was leaving EMP around that time, and the mutual friend who initially introduced me to the guys was like, "Hey, they're looking for somebody to kind of come in, take over, see what they can do," and. I was actually hoping to do a wine bar anyways at that time, and uh, it just really worked out to come in there and, you know, grab the reins and really kind of take the spirit of what they wanted to do and just translate that to the New York market. And I think we've done, you know, I think a pretty successful job so far. And, um, you know, again, not dogmatic, just great wines. We have some that are natural, some that are, you know, you could say maybe even more conventional, but I think, you know, a lot of these wines that they deliver, and it's, it's more about being good in the glass rather than how it got there but usually you know we do tend to support you know more organic and biodynamic anyways because that's just what we love but it has to be it has to be a good product yeah i mean you've done a bang-up job you you know i feel like uh as you're saying in paris there are a lot of natural wine bars that have wines that are are somewhat faulty in some sort of way um and i also wonder about this you probably have more experience than i do maybe there are wines that are completely raw and delicious in paris but just aren't really made for the trip overseas. Totally. Like it's okay if you're having that, you know, really close to where it was made and really fresh. But once you start transporting it overseas, it, it, you know, it, it becomes, you know, as you said, less stable, less good. Um, and what I like that you guys do there is you have really just all wines that taste good, that taste like wine, that taste like fruit that don't have obvious flaws. It seems like an obvious thing to do, but it's not as common in in wine bars, especially ones that that purport to be uh, natural. So, what is what does the surnatural mean? Is so that is that the tongue in cheek part? It's, that's the tongue in cheek part. Okay. So, like surnatural, like you know, in French, would you know, it kind of translates to supernatural, like beyond natural. Okay. So beyond classification is really the the way I interpret that. 
And again, it's not dogmatic. It's, you know, if you are working in an area that it's really hard to farm organically, you know, like champagne, it's, it's almost impossible. I mean, such a small amount of people do it. It's very risky. Most great champagne houses probably are not organic and they add sugar. And like, there's just a lot of things that are completely non-natural, but they are great wines in the glass. They Mm -hmm. deliver a ton of pleasure. Like for me, pleasure is the first and foremost goal in drinking wine if it doesn't taste good if it doesn't smell good if it doesn't look good if it doesn't give pleasure there's no place for it on the table it doesn't matter how they could be farming it with unicorn blood or whatever it is like whatever you know things people need to make up to put a wine in a, in a bottle and have a great story like if it's not good that you can't drink it and then it's not wine yeah i mean I, this this natural term has become such a such a loaded term i think because there are so many i feel like in the Somali community like when you say natural wine, people almost cringe, right? It's like, yeah. oh, I don't know. Like, you know, I have a hard time when even talking about uh, my wine sometimes because I want to, I want to use that term, but you know, I don't, uh, I don't want to turn people off because you know it's it's grown organically, uh, biodynamically, and made without added yeast, not done in like a, a, a chemical or machine way, but. There's so many wines that are that are that are off-putting that are like that. How do you think about the wines that, and how do you describe the wines that are made in uh, a way without chemicals, without the use of you know uh, machine harvesters or industrial methods, um, but in a way that that doesn't turn off people who might who might be like opposed to the term natural wine? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's always. You can't uh, have the exact same rules for everybody everywhere. You know, like, like I said, champagne versus Languedoc. It's much easier to farm organically in the Languedoc. So, you know, I always kind of talk about people who are, quote, unquote, doing the right thing. Like, they're doing the best that they can in their area and trying to push the limits of whatever mm-hmm. viticulture, you know, uh, you know, winemaking, et cetera. So, like, they're out there really trying to make their region as, you know, healthy or as, you know, non-interventionist as possible. Um, so, you know, we'll use that and it means different things in different parts of the world, you know, doing the right thing in upstate New York might mean just like planting different grapes and like making sure that they're doing things organically as much as possible or just limiting the use of these chemicals and, you know, just trying to make the best wine they possibly can without, you know, messing with it too much. Um, so how do you describe the flavor or anything? And I think it's just, it's more about just conveying authenticity and really just people who are out there challenging themselves, challenging their neighbors, challenging the limits of what people expect from that region, um, all in terms or in seeking, you know, just high quality wine. Right. I like that. I also, I tend to think about the difference of like Long Island and Napa Valley, right? If you have a super conscientious grower in Long Island, maybe they're spraying like six or eight times a year. But in Napa, if you don't give a shit, like you'd spray four times because it's just so much easier. Yeah. That makes sense. So trying to do the best you can in the, in the area. I love that. Yeah, just being a leader in your in your community. I really love that. Um, and you said that you went while you were at Eleven Madison. On your way out, you were uh, thinking about uh, about working a wine bar. Um, one of the things that I love about uh, Company and that I found uh, that that we're able to do at Enfora a little bit, though I think that you guys do a, uh, a an even better job, uh, at least during my tenure at F4, it's really like having fun with it, creating like really great marketing ideas, stuff that you can't really do in the confines 
of a restaurant. Um, so talk a little bit about like some of the, like the most fun things that, that you've done before and things that you have coming up. Uh, I think it's, uh, you guys are super creative with this. Well, thank you. Uh, it means a lot. Um, I mean, I've always had a, a, a love for, for videos and just making kind of short little um, fun, you know, vignettes. <clears throat> and, you know, I've done it since like grade school, all the way through high school, college. It's just, you know, I guess us growing up with a lot of television and just ways of kind of communicating things, you know, you have like these certain visions of what you'd like to see and what would be funny and, you know, try to make it personal. Um, so, yeah, we, we've kind of used that platform of, of wine and, you know, with a wine bar, you know, I, I do put the bar first. I mean, it's, it's, it's about fun. It's about conviviality. It's about people coming in and just letting go of, you know, their worries. And, you know, at a restaurant, you come in with different preconceived notions. You want to have dinner. You got to make it nice, you know, whatever. And in a wine bar, you know, you come in with lower expectations. We can heighten them once you get there. But when you come in kind of, as they say in French, I'm détendu, like uh, de-stressed or, you know, uh, like relaxed, then you can kind of have a little more fun. And so we just want to make sure that people do come relaxed and come with a smile on their face ahead of time because maybe they're like, oh, these guys are having a great time over there. They're, you know, they're not taking wine too seriously, even though like we do source the best wines and we try to keep the best stuff on the list. At the end of the day, most of the people who put the, that wine in the bottle are farmers. They are not uptight people. They are super chill. And really, we just want to do them justice and their vision and the, the way their lifestyles are and bring a little bit of that to kind of our urban sort of life. And, you know, I think the best way to do that is kind of through comedy, through just lighthearted, you know, communication around what wine is. And, you know, it's about having the confidence in the product that you've chosen and then but also just having the fun to, to introduce it to people. You know, we have stuff on our list like Malbecs and Cab Francs and things that people know and hear and love. And that's that's a good way to kind of have the entry level uh, experience, so to speak. I mean, they, they feel comfortable. And then once they, they get to know us and they get to know the list, they're like, oh, what's this? Ufark from Hungary, or what is this, you know, uh, Sagrantino de Montefalco, or something like, go take a little bit more of a journey, they at least have that comfort with us to, to go on that journey with us. Uh, so one of the, one of the days, uh, one of the things I thought is like super brilliant and genius uh, is your Jurassic Park series. Uh, uh, I, I was walking by one uh, one day, I think last summer, and there, like, you transformed the outside. And I thought that Jurassic Park was releasing a new movie <laughs> and they were doing some like promotional uh, event at your wine bar. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like they, uh, But no, it, it was about Jurassic era soils and yeah. the wines. It, tell us more about it. It was just a brainchild. Like one day I was reading this article about Jurassic wines. Like they, you know, it was about Jura wine and they use the term Jurassic. And I think anybody our age, if you hear the, you know, the term Jurassic, like you immediately go to like Jeff Goldblum, Jurassic Park. Like I grew up with that movie. And I was just like, Jurassic wine, that doesn't make, you know, it's, I guess it's funny. And I just did some research, and the reason they named the Jurassic period after, was after a, a limestone outcropping in the Jura Mountains that dates to the time of the dinosaurs. So it was like this, like, amazing connection of, like, you know, I mean, Jura wine is definitely very hot right now, and uh, it's a very pleasurable wine region to, to drink from. And, you know, dinosaurs have nothing to do with wine, but then all of a sudden they kind of did. I was like, let's just do a theme, like, dinosaur party with Jura wine, kind of tell a little bit of that backstory, but just have fun and, you know, completely do something very opposite around still great wine. And kind of, you know, as I was just talking about, have the confidence in the quality of the wine, but also just have a ton of fun um, coming into it. And so what we did is essentially 
we got just a ton of Jura wines from everything from Cremant, L'Etoile, Arbois, etc. Some of the harder to find things like Auvergnois and uh, Ganavat and did a lot of these things by the glass. Had some guest psalms, just pour stuff that they were excited about. And it was just this Bacchanalian Jura celebration with fun themed bites. We called them roar d'oeuvres. And we had like Conte cheese cut out in the shape of like dino fangs. And what we, and we had these brontosaurus branches, which we like took a kale and like dipped it in like a vinaigrette and like clipped it onto a twig and just like hung it over people. They had to eat it like a brontosaurus. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I mean, that's, that's like, to me, what, what makes that place so special. And I think what really embodies like the movement of what's going on in the wine industry in, in New York. And you see it in uh, John Bonet's article recently about how, you know, I mean, you've heard this a long time, people saying, uh, I take the pretension out of wine, but it's not just taking the pretension out. It's actually like having fun with it and having fun with it in a way that's still high quality. Um, and you're still serving great, great stuff. It's not undermining the hard work of, of the farmers. Um, and, uh, and, and relating, I like what you did there too, because you're also relating, uh, it, it, you're, you're like subversively learning yeah. too. Yeah. People love learning and like, there's, there's so many different aspects to wine that I love. It's, you know, it has everything from history to, to geography, to geology, to climate, to religion. I mean, you can tie it to so many different aspects of culture, human culture. And, you know, I think just making it make sense on many different levels uh, allows you to communicate with more people. It gets them excited. It doesn't, it's not just about the raspberry notes mm-hmm. in the glass, which a lot of people focus on. It's about what you see when you're in this region, uh, what you taste, what you're experiencing, why it tastes like this and, and all that. And, it allows you to to bring more people into the fold. Are you going to do Jurassic Park again? So Jurassic Park was the Jurassic Park pop up was last year in New York City. This year, uh, just in the spirit of doing bigger and better, we decided we'd invite uh, some friends all around the world to host their own Jurassic Park party on the exact same day of the year. So June twenty fifth, twenty seventeen. Uh, it's a Sunday. Our friends at Bar Liberty in Melbourne, Australia are going to be kicking it off. <clears throat> and then later it's going to kick over to Paris and then London. Uh, Paris at Compagnie de Vincent Naturel, London at Sager and Wild. Then we get to have our celebration in New York at the wine bar. And we have some friends at uh, Bufalina in Austin, Texas, who are doing one. And maybe some talks about a wine bar in Napa. So right. stay tuned uh, to, to more information. If you want to follow along, Jurassic Park Pop-Up uh, is the Instagram handle. All the information will be released through that. Awesome. And uh, have you spent some time visiting wine bars in, have you gone to the, the flagship several times, I imagine, in, in Paris? Totally. And, uh, what, what is the scene? How do you characterize, it's been a few years since I've been to, to Paris right now. How do you characterize the difference between the current like wine bar scene in Paris and New York? I mean, the wine bar scene in Paris is, is <clears throat> what I love about even just having three different locations of the same name. And I think people think it's going to be like a carbon copy. Every market has its own a you know laws, history, culture around drinking, and I think each one adapts to that very well. London is totally different from Paris. Paris is totally different from New York, and vice versa. And the wine bar scene in in, in Paris is uh, again it's kind of dominated by either a lot of really bad touristy bistros mm-hmm. that call themselves wine bars, or there's a ton of natural wine bars which are can be very good. You know the food is pretty limited, and the same same in Paris is in the company. Um, and it is just about, but their culture around drinking wine is so different compared to Americans because they're so much more comfortable with it. They've grown up with it. It's not as much of a thing. So over here, it's kind of, it is more of a thing and we kind of embrace that. Um, I mean, New York's the greatest wine market in the world. You can 
get anything and everything here if you can't get it you know i mean even london maybe but uh we make so much more wine here and we can import the best of the best from all over the world so we want to celebrate that paris it's more focused on kind of the classic french uh mm-hmm. wines you know some some kind of discovery wines too but you know an exotic wine in the paris location is from like abruzzo an exotic wine here is you know hungary or you know i don't know somewhere else crazy yeah, I mean, UFARC was pretty exotic <laughs> yeah. for me, yeah, yeah. that one. Uh, you know, one of the other things I love that you bring to your wine bar is your classic service. And um, you've worked in some of the, the best wine service restaurants in uh, in the country um, uh, with Danielle and uh, Love Masson Park and DB Bistro Modern. How do, you, uh, how do you translate and how do you sort of edit out some of the things that you do for the most classic, most uh, refined service and choose sort of the, mo- the things that are important for a wine bar. Yeah, you do. I mean, yeah, so that's, I mean, it's a good, good observation. Uh, we definitely edit a lot out. There are certain things that you just, I think, you can't skimp on, you can't compromise uh, that I've experienced at a lot of wine bars around the world. And I was expecting more from some of these places, like, you know, the service temperature of wine, first and foremost, you know. All of our wines are stored at, at cellar temperature. The reds are served at like 60 degrees. The whites are served, you know, anywhere between 35 and 45, depending. Um, I mean, you have to nail that right. I mean, a Beaujolais at 70 degrees is a bad wine. It, you know, like it's got to be, okay. it's got to have a chill. Um, and to miss that is to leave a lot on the table. Um, so, yes, I mean, commitment to like serving and storing wine properly. That's like something I took from my days at, you know, the more fancy restaurants and We'll never get rid of it. It what doesn't matter I how casual. What I love about, about that, and, and I want you to talk about some of the other things, too, is that you even bring that to the wine by the glass. Yeah. Um, which even great restaurants uh, have a hard time doing it by the glass. And so that's that's super impressive to me. Um, you know, at, at, uh, at, at my places, it was something I always wanted to do. And I would have uh, a backup of, of the bottles by the glass in a wine fridge. But then once it was open... Uh, it was open, and if you were lucky enough to have one of the first couple of glasses, that was at a better temp than the, than the last few. So I find that that's super impressive. Probably not not super easy to you know to keep those stocked, and it, it makes a difference. Well, yeah, I mean it's 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 just a commitment. I mean you know whether it's a Malbec or a Beaujolais or whatever, mm-hmm. it just needs like if it's room temp, it's it's a little bit too warm, you know, as mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have a couple tools in our arsenal, like the Enomatic machine, which is great. I inherited it. I really don't know if I would ever spend the thousands of dollars on it again, personally. I mean, it's great. It's a lot of maintenance, but it does allow us to set, you know, it has the, it sets us up for success by allowing us to keep some higher end wines on, preserve them longer, serve at the right temperature, which is the most important. And then we have this kind of tabletop summit uh, air chiller, which keeps things, you know, nice and, you know, 60 degrees or so. And it's a little clunky looking, but... Again, it's more about the wine rather than, you know, the aesthetics. Um, But then, you know, just other aspects of service that we kind of keep and edit. And, you know, we got rid of, like, we don't, we do do a taste if you order by the bottle. Um, Just, I think there's something nice about just approving the wine and kind of, you know, and we'll pre-taste it, make sure it's good before we bring it. But there's just something, like, I feel like is missing from the experience. Right, that's become a little bit of a conversation with uh, Erica O'Neill at Italian decided to... Uh, not poor tastes for people uh, table side. Um, I think her intentions were were totally great, and she felt that like some people um, were being maybe put off or on a spot by having having the taste uh, table side. But that's that's one of the traditional things that you like to to keep keep on. It's it's nice. I mean, most most 
wine orders are coming through probably the most knowledgeable person at the table. Not always, but usually. And it's good to give that person the final authority, yay or nay, before they share that wine with their guests. I mean, yeah. that's it's a lot of things are like in life are like that. Um, I think that too. And it's not just for them to tell if it's faulty, but I I always say, you know, it's also see if you, if you like, because if you don't like it, we'll sell it by the glass or something for sure. Right. But it gives them like, you know, like they're, they're playing host. Like it's nice to have that initial conversation. Yeah. Like, Oh yeah, that's all. It's showing, showing really well. You know, you just get a little extra kind of bonus points and then, that, it, that increases the excitement for the rest of the guests. It's like, oh, Bob's all about this wine. I can't wait to try some. You know, it just it's, it has that suspense. That's a good point. I didn't think about it like that. Um, so I think there's just so many different aspects around that one moment that, um, and I again, I applaud Erica for taking a stand. I do think that it's largely sort of outdated. It, it's worth a discussion. And if somebody orders a second bottle of the same, usually that's when we open it up and say, hey, do you want us to taste this on your behalf? Because that, that moment of initial surprise is gone. You know, mm-hmm. so now it's just more fundamental and just let's just get the wine on the table. That formality I can see doing away with, but the initial bottle, that initial suspense, you know, like kind of setting the mood for the entire meal. I feel like that, that is taking something away from the guest and also to the potential detriment of the, of the restaurant. Okay. And what else? Uh, and then, I mean, I think just having great service in general and hospitality, you're really thinking about your guests and, uh, in a way that, you know, is, is lacking from a lot of restaurants, uh, much less wine bars. Yeah. I mean, we all go out a lot. We've all worked at a lot of these, you know, kind of fancy restaurants. Like it's, I was kind of, you know, call it like this, uh, uh, the, the halfway house out of the, the, the fine dining world before you get into maybe a more casual spot. But, you know, we're very fortunate to have a team that, that understands great service and, you know, the commitment to just the fundamentals, keeping the water glass full, like keeping like the ambiance nice, like making sure people are comfortable. Somebody shows up, like getting them a new glass, you know, just the basics of what it feels like. Cause we you know we all eat out a lot. We all go out a lot. We know what it feels like. We want them to feel that in our space and that we're looking after them and we are here for their, their good time. And, you know, usually at most bars that the service is not at the top of what you're expecting. Yeah. Um, but we do take that very seriously. Um, and just want to have a nice good neighborhood wine bar, um, that, you know, you feel comfortable in. All right. Uh, on that note, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Caleb Ganser of Compagnie de Vancer Naturel. Foods USA is a farm-to-table online butcher and founding sponsor of Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Foods got its start when Patrick Martin's first stepped foot onto Frank Reese's Kansas farm in 2001. Back then, Frank was the only farmer in America raising true heritage turkeys with recorded lineages tracing back more than 150 years. Patrick knew instantly he'd found a unique moment, an opportunity to go beyond acknowledging these breeds as being jeopardized and to actually do something to save them. Patrick asked Frank to ramp up production and made a promise to him that if he would raise them, Heritage Foods USA would sell them. That was the moment that Heritage Foods' slogan, Eat Them to Save Them, was born. By creating a market for delicious meats from Heritage Breeds, we can ensure they'll be around for generations to come. Plus, Heritage Breeds just tastes a whole lot better. Learn more at HeritageFoodsUSA.com and use the code HERITAGERADIO for two free pork chops with your first order, brother. Two free pork chops. What? <laughs> what? What wines would you drink with two free pork chops? 
Uh, free bottles of wine. Free bottles of wine. Maybe uh, in, the, in the break you were, you were telling me that uh, you're excited for a trip to Vakal. I mean, depending on how you make those pork chops, those Vakal wines could be pretty good. Yeah, nice little, uh, you know, blobber gunder could be, uh, could be delicious. That could be super tasty. Um, all right, so at, at Company, on your wine list, you do something called the mystery wine. I think every time I go, I, I try to... Uh, guess what the mystery wine is and the way it works is um some you have a mystery white a mystery red someone can order that by the glass they get a glass of what is always a delicious wine in my experience and uh they don't know what it is but if they guess what it is then they get the whole bottle for free right that's the bottle for them to walk out and leave with or to drink at the restaurant Uh, that would be illegal uh, based on sla rules so they that's we keep it in the restaurant for them to either drink that night or Or they can uh, come back or they can come back yeah we'll we'll store it for you you know it's only a dollar a month i'm just kidding free (laughs) free storage (laughs) free storage um does anyone ever actually guess it right i uh, literally probably like once we probably have two to three winners a month on average okay um and it's everything from the person who doesn't know anything and they just literally point to the right wine. So that was my re- next question. Like, yeah. is it only you know people who know this stuff? It's or? all across the board. I I honestly wish there was more of a correlation, but it's oh, the most wow. random thing, and I love that actually. Um, so then just like one step further, it, it's a wine that's in our by the bottle menu. So it's a it's not like any wine in the world. It's a right. finite amount of wine. It's an open book test. We give you the list, and you get one guess per glass that you order. If you get it right, you win the bottle. If you get it wrong, you bought a glass. Um, it's always fifteen dollars. You bought so that, a delicious glass. You bought a delicious it was glass. A delicious glass of wine. It's, and you will find out what it is just eventually. We always post yeah. the answer on our Instagram. We just posted one actually for the most recent white, um, which was a Verdello from from Sauvignon technically, but declassified by Domaine de Clozel. And sometimes it's a classic wine, and sometimes Verdello it's not. from Sauvignon. Yeah. Wow. It's uh, it's it's Vin de France. Uh, a lot yeah. of people. It was so funny. Like a lot of people guessed. They were like, oh, "It smells like the Loire. It smells like." almost like this like weird grape that should be sweet, but it's not like they described it perfectly, but yeah. you know, they didn't necessarily know to guess that one. Um, but then sometimes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a ringer. Like we've had a lot of winemakers winning recently. Cause I think they're very, very good at just describing and understanding wines and what gives this particular element of structure and what regions would bring that. So like, mm. we're almost going to say no more winemaker. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, everything from, the person who works at a desk job in, in, in financial district to, to winemakers and sommeliers and everything. Wins. Wow. I've not gotten it yet. So I'm going to keep trying. It's I mean, super fun. I always, so I always play when I go to, I go to Europe once a year and visit our wine bars over there. I always play, I always lose. It's, okay. it's a very humbling experience. I, you know, do you think white, the white's easier to get or the red? Uh, I think, I mean, we have, I always say statistically, I think we have fewer whites by the bottle. So therefore oh, it's a little yeah. bit easier statistically, but, uh, the red has that the more of stru- more structural notes to it, right? Yes. So you can kind of pick it out. It's like tannin is such a teller. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, white. I mean, it could be you know depending on how the bottle's showing or whatever that day. It's uh, you could just pick up on the acid or you could pick up on the fruit, and you know yeah you go in a totally different direction. With red, yeah, it always you have that one extra element of of yeah of structure that that grounds it. Interesting. And are you still doing the somakase? Somakase is live. Yeah, it's a uh, kind of it's always it's a it's a wine tasting that you can kind of. Order a la minute. Um, And it's things that we're excited about. You know, it's things that maybe you wouldn't necessarily order on your own. And it's a way to try a lot of different wines. And it's also good for large groups, too, because this was actually more inspired by my days in fine dining when, you know, you have a group of people coming in. You have, like, eight people at a table. Everybody's doing the wine pairing. I mean, essentially, you have a budget of $1,000 for six to ten courses. 
with a thousand dollar budget for wine, you can do frankly more interesting things than the rote wine pairing. You know, the pairings are good at the places I worked, but come on, like ten people or eight people sitting around a meal, like let's get some bottles, let's have some magnums, let's have some fun. So you know, four to six or whatever people, if they come in and they do the ninety dollar somacase, we can have a blast. We can pop a bottle of like some champagne, like some things that we wouldn't have open by the glass. Mm-hmm. We can do maybe a couple half bottles or some things that we just have kicking around from, you know, whatever, like, fun event that was going on that day or whatever. It gives us that flexibility to, like, blow up your experience and have a great time rather than just being kind of confined to drinking a bottle, a glass, etc. I love it. When I was working at Bobo, my favorite thing I would try to convince everyone to do was the small A pairing yeah. because then I'd, like... I would get to go and choose things that I wanted to taste totally. and have have, you know, have a glass open that I was like super excited about, and I'm sure the guests could feel it. And then this, you're you're allowing that fine dining experience of a sommelier choosing multiple wines, their favorite wines specifically for you, yeah. but in a in a casual setting. Exactly, it's bon- it's and great. It's, I mean, if there's one person you want to give your trust and money to, it's a sommelier. I mean, oh, for sure, they're always going to over deliver. Like they want you to have a great time, and you know they're never like it's no one's out to you know. You know, I think a lot of people expect somebody like the somebody to kind of be like, oh, they're going to try to get as much money out of me as possible. Like, just give me a budget and we'll have a great time within that, you know? Yeah. And that's that's what the, I think the Somakasi is all about. We have 30, 60 or 90. It's nice because I think that that would be if people could say, you know, I want a red, white, rosé wine, full bodied or light bodied, earthy or fruit forward. And then the most important thing, like the budget. Right. Uh Right. And I think they have the hardest time with saying what the budget is sometimes. Yeah. They don't want to say in front of their guests, oh, I want to spend $60 on the bottle or something right. like that. So being able to choose it, like, it, this is something that you've already said, like, th- you're going to have a great experience at each of these levels. Yeah. Um, just choose which level you want. Exactly. I think it takes that out of there. Yeah, and I love, like, you know, we get a lot of young p- kids coming in that uh, they like, you know, I just want the $30 somakase, but, like, they're going to get see four or five wines and... That's, I mean, there's so much value in that. I mean, are you able to do that like on Friday, Saturday night when it's like jamming? It seems like that would be. <laughs> if any of my staff is listening, they're probably like saying that's exactly the only time people are ordering it. It's right. always like when they're the busiest, like somebody's like, so makase. And it's like, great, I got to run around and grab six bottles and all these things. But and, like and two mojitos. Okay. Right. <laughs> but that's, that's, the, that's the tension. That's the fun. I mean, without that, you know, that's, that's what service industry is all about. It's, right. it's, it's crazy. And then when it's crazy, it's crazier. And, people can feel that and like that's what that's what the energy is all about it's about being i find like the best service is usually like being on the edge without going over for sure like if it's if it's slow you're not just i don't know like not in the groove as much like when it's when it's busy and like the blood's flowing and you know that that's there's a point where it's too much though for sure but yeah you got to get a little adrenaline going to to have a good time i think i think so too uh last year you were you did a uh a bus trip up to the finger lakes yeah are you you're doing that again we're gonna do it again yeah Yeah. i mean uh people it was it was kind of unprecedented and we weren't sure how it was going to go and how people were going to respond to it it was a little ambitious um we essentially rent a charter bus on a Friday in the summer and drive up to the Finger Lakes. It's about a five-hour drive each way. And we get off, have some lunch in the vineyards, do a couple different like master classes with some winemakers and, and uh, sommeliers and things up there. Uh, have dinner, casual dinner like burgers and, and hot dogs and you know shakes and fries and all that. And invite a bunch of other winemakers to bring their wines. And it's just like a meet and greet, hang out, good time. Back on the bus, come back to New York City, uh, all in 24 hours or less. And it's like 150 bucks. And I think it's it's a great value. A lot of people, you know, it's close, but also kind of far, the Finger Lakes. And it's it's nice to be able to see it, experience it, meet the people, taste the wines. I mean, there's some great things happening up there, as you know. And 
we definitely want to support those growers who are you know more or less in our backyard um and just just make it happen so we like you know kind of catered the bus like airplane styles went around with like a little cart and you know had some snacks and things um watched some movies you know on the way back with like a dance party uh it was it was a really good time and And this is open to the public yeah yeah we we launched tickets uh probably it's gonna be in july uh probably mid to late july on a friday i think the 21st is what we're looking at um but we'll launch tickets about a month and a half out so stay tuned okay now that's coming up that's like in a few weeks yeah very soon i think you're absolutely crazy driving five hours each way <laughs> but it sounds like a blast if you have it's, the energy for it no nah, it's good i mean like usually people they we get there early um so people just kind of you know they they snooze on the bus on the way up yeah. on the way back we're kind of either everybody's a little tipsy or we're drinking a little bit more and just a lot of sleeping on the bus it's actually like kind of the best way to get up there because you're not really paying attention to it that's true and someone you, else is driving yeah, so someone else is driving and, and uh, what wineries are you checking out well, yeah. so last year we went to Weimer. I mean, those guys are awesome. Herman J. Weimer, uh, great hosts. Uh, we'll probably visit them again. Uh, Shaw Vineyard, they're actually right across the street from each other. Mm-hmm. Two totally different perspectives and styles, uh, which is really cool to see. And that's, I think, what you do get in the new world as well is uh, this variation of style. And, um, you know, Chris Bates, we had Bloomer Creek. We had, um, gosh, who else? Um, Chris Mathewson from Bellwether. Uh, a lot, a lot of All great the best ones. Yeah. yeah, a lot of great producers came out and the same. And just meet a similar lineup this year. Similar lineup. We're going to try to go bigger and better. We want to make sure we want to be able to give everybody a bottle of wine too to take home oh, um, nice. this year. So kind of upping the ante a little bit, and just really just be a value added proposition. You know, it's more about just community, like bridging again the city with the the rural area where the wines are made, and um, just having a great time around wine. I mean, I think it's a, a huge value at one hundred fifty dollars. I mean, it's less than renting the zip car for the day, for sure. Yeah, right? you take and, care of and everything. You've already like yeah, catered, you know, you all the snacks, food. And wine, yeah. food uh, I mean, I know that you're just going to take them to the, the best places. So, yeah, yeah. guys, look out for that. We'll we'll Stay definitely tuned. be uh, we'll we'll send if you'll send it to us when stuff comes out. We'll we'll send it through cool. uh, through through all of our, our networks to to let our listeners li- listen about it. Um, I also want to ask you about this is kind of a leading question because I know I know that you're working on something with with education, and so if you could tell us about how have you been uh, continuing your education with wine? What are some of the resources that you use? And uh, tell us about this new education project that, that you're going to be working on, too. Yeah, so two things. Um, I guess, how do I continue my education? I mean, I, I came from a pretty formal education background in a way through the quartermaster sommeliers and a lot of studying, a lot of reading books, a lot of the textbook-based knowledge. And now I feel like, you know, I've kind of transferred. I've, I've kind of stepped off that path for a while. Um, and That's what happens when you... I did it, and when I opened Delaney, I stopped. Yeah, uh, I mean, once you're you know you're in charge of other people's lives, you know, your imagine you know, partner yeah. at the hottest wine bar in New York City. It's, well, you don't have time for it. It's uh, like the, I'm glad I did it when I did it, and now I try to stay you know current. You know, wine is a living thing, and you know you yeah. got to go visit. So I got I want to go see the producers. I want to taste the wines. I want to feel you know, that visceral moment and see what they're drinking over here and over there. And so I still feel like I'm learning. It's just a little less studious, but it's you know it's fun still, and it's you can still share a lot of information just by having visited people. So um, I do try to have the more personal connection now to wine mm. rather than the, the book connection. Um, but I do realize that it's you can't do that as well, I don't think, without that background of, of formal study. So one thing that people probably ask you all the time, they ask me all the time, like, oh, I want to learn more about wine, or how do I learn more about wine? And it's hard to say, well, buy this book, this book, this book, read this. So uh, it's this, hard. It's hard to also say, "Hey, book a you know book a trip to Austria, book a trip to Rioja." Sure, yeah. Thousands of dollars and takes a lot of time. It's not efficient. 
Right. Um, it's really pleasurable, but maybe if you're really going after, maybe you can go one or two a year. Like that's that's not a lot. No, it's not. And, but I always admire those the the like the kind of the consumers who do spend their vacations in wine regions. Like mm-hmm. that's I, I, that more props to them. That's amazing. Um, but one thing we wanted to do, and actually I've always kind of thought about it, and this this group Area Nine came to us uh, and wanted to figure out a way to make a wine education platform. Um, and they're they're specialized in what is called adaptive learning. So they can take really complex subjects and the way they frame it, give it to you, ask you questions, et cetera. It's like they don't waste time asking, asking questions or teaching you things you already know. They focus on the things you don't know and really kind of hammer it until it gets in. Um, so we've created this platform with a lot of different wines from service to storage to the basic grapes all around the world, France, Italy, uh, California, um, you know, all the new world, the old world. It's about eight to ten different kind of uh, components, and it's uh, it's gonna be an online course that's gonna come out pretty soon. Uh, so definitely stay tuned. Uh, I'm very excited about being able to kind of put something really powerful in the people's hands and really allow guests to experience to get more value out of each bottle mm-hmm. because it's kind of like art appreciation. You know, you can go to a museum and look at a painting and it looks great, but if you know the history of how that got to be, like you're gonna get so much more out of that. And really, we just want to be able to do that as allow people to understand and appreciate wine that much further because there is a desire there. So we want to be able to kind of fill that and uh, hopefully help add our two cents to that. Oh, that's great. And when is that launching? There's a press release in, in the works right now. So oh, this wow. is definitely like... This uh, is breaking it. This is, yeah. Holy cow. This is, uh, it's coming very soon down the pipeline. We've been working on it for about a couple of years now. Wow. Um, it, it takes a lot of time. but Access it from your phone as well? or There's going to be a, a desktop, kind of uh, the bigger versions on the desktop. Okay. But there's going to be kind of a portable app that you can take with you as well, kind of like an, you know answering questions and keeping up with it. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be multifaceted. And for the people who are like studying for tests and that sort of thing, it seems like that'd be a good resource for them too. It's going to be, yeah. it's, it's, going, it's not geared necessarily towards any particular, like it's not through the quartermaster sommeliers, okay. it's not through the WSCT. It is certainly taken from what I've learned from various, various aspects of that, but um, it's not gearing you towards any particular exam, but it is giving a good baseline information on a lot of different things. Nice. Um, it's not like super duper uh, industry, like geeky focused, but it is pretty geeky for a consumer. Okay. Yeah. I think I think industry people still appreciate it, especially like people who are just getting into it, like you know servers and yeah. things like that, who really kind of like want to take the next level. They understand the basics. This is like that perfect tool. Like if you have the basics, you're going to be able to get to the advanced level faster. Yeah. Hey, listen, and I need like the basics of places like South Africa, which is somewhere that you know. Like, I mean, I need more of the basics of Chile. The last time that I studied about that was. When I did the WSET diploma in 07, 06, sure. like a changed, decade yeah. ago, things have changed drastically. Yeah, yeah right? especially in the new world. I mean, things are happening all the time. New wine regions are being created. New producers are coming in, coming out, you know, and it's, there's a lot to keep up with. I certainly can't claim, you know, claim to be an expert on all those regions, but um, I definitely enjoy kind of these off-the-beaten-path places that are making just super high-quality wines, like Mulina wines in Swartland, South Africa, their Syrah rivals some of the best Crozet Hermitage, Cote Routis, anything I've had from the Northern Rhone. And you can get, pick it up for 75 bucks on a wine list. Uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty small production, pretty rare to find, but super value-driven uh, wines uh, coming out of that region. You know, the basket range of, uh, of Australia as well. These guys, it's like an entire community of like 10 to 12 families that just have their own wineries, own projects, pushing you know, organic viticulture from their growers, making you know, super non-interventionist mm-hmm. wines. And just like how it's like a town of 200 people 
And it's all these people just like really pushing the limits of what it is, but they're also traveling. Like they're out, they're in Europe, they're in London. They're like, they're very much in the scene. And then they come back with that inspiration and they want to share it with the world. And it's just that really cool exchange of ideas and flavors. And that's, that's just what I love about those regions. Okay. And this will be the last question because you're hinting on some other regions. Your list is predominantly French. Uh, you have, you keep a, a small part for non-French regions. How do you choose what 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 you're doing? There's so much out there, for sure. And you know, I, I, we we kind of look at the list. It's a very living thing. I mean, if we're excited about it right now, yeah. we're going to blow up that part of the list with a bunch of stuff that we find to be really interesting. You know, it's it's not exhaustive. It's not going to have every single classic wine from every classic region, but it is going to be like quote unquote the things we're listening to, and it's uh, based on you know whatever. It's a new discoveries, things coming into the market. But we do try to find, we taste everything through kind of a French sort of perspective. Like, you know, we like a little bit higher acid, a little bit lower alcohol, wines that are balanced, you know, food friendly, but like interesting and have tension. Um, so we try to seek those things out both in France, but also in, in Hungary, in Australia, in, in South Africa, in Croatia. I mean, we really want to find some of the geekiest wines in the world and put them on the stage with some of the most classic as well. You know, we have a couple pages of Champagne and Burgundy and Bordeaux and you know, the Rhone and the Loire and the Jura, like a lot of the classic regions. And I, I genuinely believe that all these wines fit right on, right next to the table uh, and right next to that bottle on the table for, for their own reasons. Uh, and I couldn't agree more. I think you, like I said, I think you're doing just fantastic work at company. I encourage everyone to go visit. Uh, if you guess the mystery wine, I will be mad at you and jealous. And but you'll be famous because we'll put it on Instagram. But you'll be famous, and you'll get a free delicious bottle of wine. It's so much fun, uh, such a fun thing to do, such a fun place with outstanding hospitality, great wines. And we didn't even talk about this, but the food happens to be really delicious, too. Our chef, yeah, Eric uh, Bulliard, we met while working at EMP. Uh, he's killing it in the kitchen. I mean, we really wanted this to be a food and wine destination where you can kind of have a snack or an entire meal alongside either a glass or an entire bottle. Uh, and it kind of just fits into your life, you know, on all different occasions. Yeah. That's a great thing about the wine bar. You kind of make of it what you want of it in that night. Yeah. And by the way, as I said, you're just doing such fun stuff. Um, well, thank all you. right. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you, uh, if you want to reach out to me, if you have any questions for, uh, for in the drink, any suggested guests, you can, uh, you can shoot me an email at Joe at Anona wine.com. A N N O N a wine.com. Uh, I want to thank our engineer, uh, David Tadishore, who produces all the shows. He is the man and everyone at heritage radio network. This has been in the drink. We'll see you next week. For listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.